So Psalm 135, which is page 626 in the Bibles. Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord. You who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth in the seas and all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of people and animals. He sent his signs and wonders into your midst, Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. Sion, king of of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. And he gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people Israel. Your name, Lord, endures forever. Your renown, Lord, through all generations. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, praise the Lord. House of Aaron, praise the Lord. House of Levi, praise the Lord. You who fear him, praise the Lord. Praise be to the Lord from Zion, to him who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Super, thanks, Kerry. Um, let me add my welcome to Rachel's. It's, uh, it's great to see you all. Um, As Rachel said, this is the second in our little mini-series on the God who is. There are loads of things we could say about God, and all of them are vital. But last week we had the God who is holy. Next week, the God who is gracious. This week, the God who is sovereign. And it would be good to get clear on what, what that means. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? What do we mean when we say that? And so for 30 seconds, if you're comfortable, just turn to a neighbor and chat about that. What does it mean that God is sovereign? If you haven't thought about that at all before, that's fine. But if you have, what do we mean when we say God is sovereign? 30 seconds.
super, super. I'm sorry to cut in. Thanks for chatting. It would be great to hear afterwards some of the things that you said. Um, up on the screens, uh, here's some stats uh, what we mean by, by God being sovereign. God is the only foundation of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and has most sovereign dominion over them to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever he himself pleases. Here's another one. God, the great creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Here's one more, and you might be familiar with this from our sermon series on Joseph. In answer to the question, what is God's sovereign providence? The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven, earth, and all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And for good measure, I've had a go. Here's my best attempt at summing up what we mean by God being sovereign. God upholds his whole creation in being and rightfully rules over all that he has made with no limits to his freedom and no rivals to his power, but doing all that he pleases. That's what we mean when we say God is sovereign. And it's worth saying all those words on the screens just now, um, uh, I hope they communicate something clearly about what we're talking about. But much more important than words is the reality behind them. The reality that God is sovereign, that, that we believe that right now, God is upholding all of his creation, including us, ruling over all that he has made with no limits to his freedom, no rivals to his power, but doing all that he pleases. Now, I realize that raises some questions, big questions. If God is sovereign, then what about our free will? Do we have meaningful choices? Or if God is sovereign over all that he's made, does that mean he's sovereign over bad things? Um, evil, pain. That's not just a theoretical question. The evil and pain that we experience, what does it mean for him to be sovereign over that? Or what about the fact that often life just seems random and unplanned? How does that fit with God ruling in all things? And practically, what difference does it make for God to be sovereign? You know, how does this big reality connect up to our day-to-day -day lives? Well, on the screens, here's where we're going, and we'll try to talk about those things along the way. Um, but first, God's sovereignty, is it biblically true? We've talked about what it means, but is it actually what the Bible teaches about God? So we'll start with that. And then I want to recognize it can be really hard for us to believe that God is sovereign for the kinds of reasons we've just said, and we'll spend some time on that. 
But I'd like to finish, hopefully, by showing us God's sovereignty is a really good thing. It's really good for us to believe in, and it will do all kinds of good for us to believe in it. So that's where we're going. Here's the first thing. What does the Bible teach? Is God's sovereignty biblically true? We're going to look at some different bits of the Bible, but Psalm 135, um, that Kerry read for us, is a good place to start. Um, If you have it there in front of you, the psalmist praises the Lord. Why? Well, verse 3, for his goodness, but also verse 5, for his sovereign greatness. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him. In other words, whatever God wants to do, he succeeds in doing. Whatever he sets his mind to, he accomplishes. And the psalmist goes on, he does it in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. In other words, there is nowhere in all creation that God doesn't succeed in doing what he wants to do, whatever pleases him. And you see that in nature. Um, Let me confess something, that if we're ever chatting and I bring up the weather, that is a sure sign that I've run out of things to talk about with you. Because the weather is my absolute last resort in conversation. It's so, so normal, so unsurprising. You know, it's just what happens. Um, think of the, the cycle of rain falling and clouds forming. You know, can you think of anything that seems more, more automatic, more self-sustaining? Um, it rained earlier. Of course it did. That's just what happens. But the psalmist knows better than me. He knows that the weather isn't just what happens left to itself. It is God doing whatever he pleases. Verse 7, he makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Don't get me wrong. In school, it's great to learn about the water cycle and things like that. But God is the ultimate cause. And God isn't only sovereign in nature, he's sovereign in human affairs as well. Verse 8, he struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of people and animals. He sent his signs and wonders into your midst, Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, and he gave their land as an inheritance to his people, Israel. He, 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 none of this stuff happened by chance. It was all God doing whatever he pleases. And just notice from those verses that not even the greatest powers in the world can get in the way of God doing uh, his purposes. Egypt, that was the superpower of the day. Pharaoh, well, he was a bit like the president of the USA, the, the most powerful man on the planet. Many nations and mighty kings That's a a lot of power. You know, when I want to do something, it doesn't take a lot to stop me. A flat tire, or um, bad internet signal, or um, a virus. But nothing can stop the Lord doing what he pleases. Even the greatest powers in the world are powerless against him. And I want to just pause on this. It's not that God has more power 
than them. Uh, here's what I mean. It's on the screens. Imagine there's um, a power pie, and God has more slices of the power pie than, than Pharaoh and his friends have, uh, three times as much, or ten times as much, or a million times as much. Well, that's not how it works. God and Pharaoh don't share, same, share pieces of the same pie. God and Pharaoh are on completely different levels because God is the creator and they are creatures. They only exist because God created them and they only keep existing because God upholds them in being moment by moment. That's what it is for us to be creatures. Paul puts it this way in Acts 17. In him, we live and move and have our being. We don't have life in ourselves. We depend on our creator to keep us in being. And so you see why it's impossible for powerful people like Pharaoh to stand in God's way, not because God has more power than them, but because they're on completely different levels. As creator, he's the source of their power. They're dependent on him whether they realize it or not. And it's the same for everything in creation. No created thing can limit God because all created things are dependent on God. C.S. Lewis put it like this, the freedom of God consists in the fact that no cause other than himself produces his acts and no external obstacle, Pharaoh, for example, impedes them that his own goodness is the root from which they all grow, and his own almightiness the air in which they all flower. Well, that's Psalm 135, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. God's sovereignty is all through the Bible. Take Psalm 33:11. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. You know, think of the last plan you had that didn't work out. Well, our plans often fail, but God's plans always succeed. Now, we might think that's just the big picture stuff. You know, God makes a, a big picture plan. Um, say he decides big event A is going to happen, and then big event B, and big event C. But he leaves it open how things will kind of join them up. Um, the little stuff can work itself out. Well, um, speaking of little things, uh, a dice is pretty little. Um, guess in your heads what you think it's going to be. Let's see. Six. Don't know if you thought six, but if someone did. Um, but if anything is left to work itself out, is anything is chance, random, luck, Surely it's the role of a tiny little dice. But Proverbs 16.33 says different. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Or take Jesus' words in Matthew 10.29. Are not two tiny sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? God doesn't just rule over the big stuff. He rules over the little things right down to a dice and a sparrow. But then we think, does that include us? 
You know, maybe God rules over the decision of a dice, but what about our decisions? Proverbs 16, 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And there's much more in the Bible to say that God is sovereign even over our decisions. Or big verses like these, James 4, 15. You know, when we predict confidently, here's what I'll be doing a year from now, James says, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Lamentations 3, 37. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Not just good things. God is sovereign over calamities too. And Ephesians 1.11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That's the scope of God's sovereignty. Everything. All things. See, the God of the Bible, he's not a God who, who creates and then uh, sits back to see what happens. Like someone who winds up a clock and then leaves it to run itself. No, God actively keeps his creation in being. It couldn't run without him. And he rules over every aspect of it. As the psalmist says, the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. Now, if we had longer, we could see more of God's sovereignty in the Bible, um, prophecies in the Old Testament that come true in history, narratives like our sermon series on Joseph, where you see God's plans gradually coming together. But believing in God's sovereignty can be really hard for us. And I don't think that's because we read our Bibles and think, well, that's not in there. I think it's for other reasons. Um, because it doesn't seem to fit with our experience. Life just seems random, unplanned. Doesn't seem like there's a God ruling over everything. Or we worry that God's sovereignty turns us into robots. If God's rule includes even our decisions, then what about our free choices? And what would it say about God if he's sovereign over bad things? If all the evil in the world, all the evil we experience, is in some sense under his control. In fact, when some people picture a sovereign God, they imagine God as, as a tyrant. You know, a, a power-hungry dictator that's been blown up to God's size. Uh, someone who won't let his subjects have any freedom. Uh, who must be in total control. Who does what they want and doesn't care about what happens to the people they rule. Some people fear that's what you get with a sovereign God. And so we find ourselves wondering if an alternative is better. A God who's less sovereign or a God who isn't in control at all. Well, this is not where I clear up all those massive things. Um, that stuff requires longer conversations, and it would be good to have those conversations, to, to speak and listen to one another about what we find hard. It takes time to wrestle through these things, and in what I'm going to say, there will still be questions, 
partly because we're limited by time, but, but even when all's said and done, there is still mystery here. Um, and so the things I'm going to say, I hope will be helpful, um, but there is more to say. Here are three quick pointers that might help. Pointer number one, God's freedom does not limit our freedom. See, usually we think the more sovereign God is, the less free we are. It's actually going back to, to the pie, um, this time a freedom pie, but it's the same idea. There's only so much freedom to go around, and the more slices of freedom God has, then the less freedom we can have. And if God and us were on the same level, then that would be true. God's freedom would limit our freedom. But we're not on the same level. God is creator, and we are creatures. And so there isn't one pie to split up between us. There are two pies. God's pie, all the freedom of being creator. And our pie, all the freedom he gives us of being creatures. See, it's not that God has more freedom and we have less. It's that our freedom is different. He has creator freedom. We have creaturely freedom. And whereas tyrants devour the freedom of others to get their own, you know, feeding off others' freedom, God isn't like that. He gives us freedom, fast swathes of freedom. Actually, as creator, God is not the limit of our freedom. It's the very opposite. He's the foundation of it, the generous giver. That's pointer number one. Here's pointer number two. God can be sovereign over evil without being evil. And I don't want to treat this lightly. Um, the evil in our world is heartbreaking, and it's right that we're sad and that we cry at the, the evil that we see around us and that we experience. And the thought that God is sovereign over even the worst evil in the world, it's, uh, it's difficult for us. But think of the alternative. Think of a God who can't rule over evil, whose hands are tied. Uh, all the evil in the world, it's out of his control. All he can do is watch, look on, helpless to do anything about it. Well, where is the comfort in that? When evil strikes, where is the comfort in thinking? God couldn't do anything about that. Maybe he wanted to, but he couldn't. There is no comfort in a God who is just as helpless against evil as we are. Much more comforting in our tears is the God of the Bible who is sovereign even over the evil acts of his creatures, but he remains entirely good. That's what God is teaching us, I think, through our sermon series on Joseph. You remember Joseph's brothers, they, they kidnap him and throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery and Others treat him really horribly. But here's Joseph's comfort. You, you brothers, intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. That's what we can say about all the evil in our world. Others intended it for evil, but God intends it for good. And there's no clearer example than the cross of Jesus. At the same time, 
the most evil deed that's ever been committed, killing the Son of God, and yet intended by God for the eternal good of His people. God is not boxed in by evil. What others intend for harm, God intends for our good. And the Son of God Himself knows what it's like to say in agony, your will be done. Our final, final pointer. God has the right to rule as well as the might to rule. A um, bit more briefly on this. Uh, when we say the creed, what do we say? We say, I believe in God, the Father, almighty, all-powerful. And that could make us uncomfortable because when you look at the world and history, you see that when you make one person all-powerful, bad things happen. You get tyrants who trample down others. And that makes us uncomfortable about God being almighty. But as well as having might, God has the right to rule. He has the right to rule his creation because he made it. You know, he didn't seize power in a coup. Um, God belongs on the throne because creation belongs to him. But also God has the right to rule because he is righteous. People do abuse their power, sometimes horribly. But we don't have to be afraid that God will ever do that because God always uses his power in line with who he is, his goodness, his justice, his wisdom, his love. His power doesn't trump those things. Uh, he always acts in line with his own perfect nature. Um, while other tyrants take lives, no tyrant dies for their subjects. This God does. There is no person more qualified to rule, more trustworthy than him. Now, I don't expect those pointers to have solved everything. There is more to say on all of those. So let's, let's keep talking about these things. But if we do find it hard, a couple of quotes for us to, to reflect on. The first one there um, was spoken by, by an old preacher. He said this, absolute sovereignty is what I love to ascribe to God. But what you wouldn't get from that is that for many years as a younger Christian, he hated the idea of God's sovereignty, thought it was ridiculous and evil. But over time, it came to be something he loved and loved to tell others about too. But it does take time, and that's what the second quote is getting at. Um, God's sovereignty is taught to us in the Bible for our comfort. But I think these are really wise words. We must, not reach that, we must reach that comfort at the right pace, not too fast, lest we treat it lightly, not too slowly, lest we be overtaken by melancholy. We are instructed by the doctrine of providence to look to God for comfort, to cast ourselves in a tragic role, to allow ourselves to think that there is no comfort is to fall prey to unbelief. But belief is learned, not given all at once. It does take time to be taught by the Lord to find comfort in these things. And that's, that's where I'd like to finish, that believing this is really good for us. 
Remember how Psalm 135 begins and ends. Praise the Lord. Be, be joyful. Be happy. This is something to praise God about, that He is sovereign. Here's one final quote for us to reflect on. John Calvin said, Ignorance of providence is the greatest of all miseries, and the knowledge of it the highest happiness. You know, think of a world where everything happens by blind chance, where there is no purpose behind tragedy and no confidence that life is going anywhere or adding up to anything at all. And then think of a world upheld by a sovereign heavenly father, ruling over all things from big to small, doing all that he pleases. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good world to live in? You know, when we face uncertainty, the uncertainty, say, of, of exams and not knowing what uni you're going to end up at, well, isn't it comforting to know God has already planned that? Now, it's still right to work hard. Um, when you're hungry, it's still right to eat. When you're sick, take some paracetamol. We are creatures. We need to do that kind of stuff. But the Lord is in control when we're uncertain. He knows. He's planned it. When we feel like it's all going wrong and falling apart, how comforting to know that the Lord is ruling over all things. We're not in control, but He is. When we've been wronged, that needn't make us bitter because we know God intends it for our good. And so we can be patient, thankful even, when things are hard for us. When we're trying to keep control over things, we can let go and rest and pray because God is sovereign and that makes him a God worth praying to and trustworthy. And when we don't know the future and we're tempted to worry, we can be confident that nothing in all creation can get in the way of God keeping every single one of his promises to us in Jesus. God being sovereign is a very happy thing, though it might take us time to feel that. In fact, I'd like to leave us with a question, something to chat about after the service over tea and coffee or maybe over uh, Sunday lunch. Why is it a happy thing for us, for you, that God is sovereign? Why is it a happy thing for us that God is sovereign? Well, let's be quiet for a bit, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Sovereign Lord, we acknowledge that, um, well, as we said earlier, you are our creator, we are your creatures, and you uphold us in being. Without that, we would simply cease to be. Father, we pray that you would teach us to relate rightly to you as our, cre as, as our creator. Help us to trust you, that you are sovereignly ruling in all things. 
when that's hard for us, please, Father, please bear with us. Help us to bear with one another, um, to be patient as well with ourselves. And please teach us to find the goodness and happiness in knowing that you, the good, wise, loving God, are ruling over all things. Father, thank you that in all the uncertainty and unclearness of life, that you are on the throne, achieving your purposes and doing all that you please. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.